Our passage this evening is from the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. We have the key verses there, but if you want to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read two verses that precede that. Philippians chapter 4. And it's good to be back with you here at Providence. The last two times we've had uh, snowstorms. So it didn't snow, it rained, it wanted to snow, but didn't quite get there. So I'm thankful to be able to, in God's kind providence, be back with you tonight. Philippians chapter 4, and I'll read the paragraph, verses 4 through 7. And this, of course, is God's word. May we have eyes that can see its truth and ears that, that hear it and hearts that are inclined to obey all that he says to us. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we, we haven't come out tonight uh, just to hear a person talk or just to sing empty words. We want to hear from you. So feed us as you feed your people, feed us through your word. We cannot live by material bread alone. So Father, take the words of my mouth to collect the meditations of our hearts and make them acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer, through Jesus, amen. The language in English here for what we wanna talk mainly about there in verse four, six, uh, do not be anxious about anything. That English language is a little bit mild. Paul's really saying, and this is the point, stop worrying. Stop worrying. No worry you. That's what he's really telling us here. And of course, this is an always, an always pertinent subject. Uh, you look at various sources, various uh, therapeutic studies, psychological studies, the number one issue with people that they want addressed is anxiety, depression. Uh, to use another synonym, worry. That's the top thing, that's the top I guess we classify it as a mental health problem. I guess is one way of kind of looking at it that gets addressed. And you know, and this is affecting, it, 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 the worry and anxiety is something that uh, has only been spreading. Since 2012, there's been a skyrocket, uh, a skyrocketing of young people, teenagers, ones who are the most carefree and should be the less worried and have the fewest burdens. There's been a skyrocketing of anxiety. And what it's tied to is uh, 
2012 is when I think we, the tipping point for young people having smartphones. So that's another sermon. If you, if you have a young, if you have a teenager, you give them a smartphone, smartphone, um, let me just say, that's not wise. All right? But that's what young people have been uh, experiencing. Of course, this time of year, you talk to any counselor friends you have, this is when people really race to the counselor's office, this end of year around the, the holiday season, and this is when they are dealing with the most anxiety. They're reflecting on their life, right? End of year, there's the we're, we're, happiness and joy and peace is shoved into our face and it acutely heightens uh, a sense of not having those kinds of things and therefore anxiety and, and, and stress and people feel burdened and pressured to fix families and things like that. This is a time of year where there's lots of a sense of um, anxiety. And all of these things and more, what they simply say is that worry, anxiety is a prominent feature of our fallen humanity. It's a common expression of what it means to be people who live in a fallen world who are not yet what God will completely make us. That it, it is to experience anxiety and worry. We inhabit a worrying world. And we're so consumed with worry often that we worry about our worrying. We have anxiety about our anxiety. It's just this kind of multiplying accumulation often in, in our hearts. And it is to such people that the Apostle Paul dresses his words here, particularly in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. And I want us to give a little consideration to that. He mentions that, he gives that command, stop worrying, do not be anxious about anything. He gives that in the midst of a kind of series of short little commands, rejoice in the Lord, all right? Let me say it again. Rejoice, let your gentleness, your moderation be seen and be known. And in the midst of that, he gives this command to, to be free from worry. So as we think about that, um, let's, hang, let's hang their thoughts on uh, basically four points. I want to consider Paul's command to us to not worry, to stop worrying, to not be anxious around four things. Uh, first, circumstances don't cause anxiety. Circumstances reveal them. Circumstances don't cause anxiety. Circumstances reveal anxiety. And then the call to stop worrying is not a call to self-mastery. It is a call, three, to the priority of prayer. And then let's consider Christ and worry. Jesus and our worries. So circumstances don't create anxiety, they reveal it. Now first, what, what are we talking about when we talk about anxiety and what does the apostle mean here? To be anxious is, by that, Paul means those distracting, harassing thoughts and concerns that we have that run us down and it's usually about what we don't see ahead. It's usually future-oriented. Usually our anxiety is about what we think might happen. 
and we feel pressed down by it. We feel harassed. We are experiencing some level or measure of trouble. It's pushing us down, and we expect the worst. That's usually what is meant by anxiety. This is different than care. Care is a reasonable attentiveness to situations. Not an undue, irrational kind of stressed out sense and feeling, but a awareness. So care is not bad. Care is good. In fact, Paul says earlier that he was thankful for those who cared about the Philippian church. In other places, he says, the care of the churches is on me daily. He's not saying some bad thing. He's saying that's proper and right to have appropriate attentiveness and consideration about affairs and matters and what might happen is to simply have a good kind of care. Anxiety, worry, this kind of care, it's the kind that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, don't be anxious about your life and then immediately envisions future prospects that people have that cause them worry. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, right? Don't worry about those things. Don't have anxiety about those things. Now, we mentioned the point here is anxiety, circumstances don't cause anxiety. Why say that? Where's that coming from? You take a look at the second half of verse 6 and then 7 because when God deals with it, when he deals with our worry, when he deals with our anxiety, he actually deals with our heart and our mind, not our circumstances. When he addresses human anxiety and worry, he addresses the state of our heart and of our mind. In other words, he does work on us, not our environment. That's not to say the environment is unimportant. Of course, environmental factors matter. But they're not the cause of our anxieties. And fixing them doesn't necessarily fix worry. Anxiety and worry is a reflection of what is actually going on inside of a person. It's not something outside of us. And usually it's related to our obsessive desire to be in control. We worry when we feel like we don't have control of something. One of my professors said, worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. When we can't control something, we worry about it. Anxiety and worry, this kind that Paul is dealing with, really is an expression of a heart that craves control. We could even say control is the sin underneath the sin of worry. 
It's what drives our worry. We don't feel like we have a handle on the circumstances of life and we, be, we get anxious about it. Now, Paul is an environmental determinist. It's not that we have a circumstance and we must worry if it's a kind of worry-inducing circumstance. We don't have to respond with worry to it. He's not an environmental determinist. Our personal circumstances do influence and put pressure on us, of course. And we should seek to alleviate things that might bring us undue stress and worry and anxiety, right? We should seek to, to, to deal with those things, but they don't determine our worries. They're not the cause. It's like a, you know, water in a tea bag, right? The, you put hot, teeming water in you know, your coffee, your, your tea cup. What does it do? The water, does the water create the tea flavor that comes out of the tea bag? No, it doesn't. It's the circumstance in which that becomes revealed. What's in that tea bag comes out. It was already there. The water didn't create it. The water was, was a circumstance in which that tea bag reveals its flavor. And you can just look no further than the Apostle Paul himself here. He wrote, the, the book of Philippians is one of his prison epistles. He was in jail as he wrote it. And yet this book, as we read in verse 4, chapter 4, is the epistle of joy. Paul talks more about joy here than anywhere else in his writings. And he was imprisoned. You don't expect that kind of circumstance to produce a letter that so talks about joy. And he writes elsewhere, he writes to the Macedonian Christians who were under lots of affliction and, and who were a very poor people, a people who were extremely generous even in their extreme poverty and affliction. He writes about them, he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This means that a joyful life, a non-anxious life, is tied to some kind of state of heart and mind, not a particular circumstance. Circumstances don't cause our worry and anxiety. They reveal them. Secondly, this is not, Paul telling us to stop worrying, is not a call to self-mastery. We ought not read this as a kind of bald imperative that we marshal the inner resources of our strength to, with which to comply. This is not a call to self-mastery. There were Stoics in the first century, very common school of philosophical thought. They had a way of achieving freedom from worry and anxiety, and as well as other kinds of unruly passions. It was called detachment. Indifference. If you wanted to not worry, you had to get rid of the passion of worry. 
But if you got, so if you got rid of, if you were indifferent and you detached yourself from all of your passions, then there was no danger of you worrying when a circumstance might present, you know, an occasion to worry. There was a guy, Epictetus, and Seneca, who was pretty well known, Stoics, they urged the kind of cold embrace of one's life and its problems and pressures. Seneca said this, or Epictetus said this, make the best use of what is in your power and take the rest as it happens. He, he kind of sounds like, you know, you know uh, Jordan Peterson, he's kind of a modern, like a neo-Stoic. He says, life is brutal and hard and you just must face it with a face like Flint and just get on with doing your responsibilities. It's brutal, right? So he kind of, sounds kind of like a modern, a modern stoic. And truth be told, to a degree, there is a, there's a kernel of wisdom in that. We should inculcate in ourselves a bit of resilience, a bit of stick to because life is hard. We can't go around being snowflakes who, who melt around at, at encountering every single little difficulty that, that, that faces us. We wouldn't get anywhere in life in a civilization. So there is some common grace wisdom to saying, toughen up a bit. But that's not the ultimate solution to your worry. And that's certainly not what the Apostle Paul is encouraging here. He's not encouraging a kind of just grin and bear it or, or, or toughen up. For one reason, to actually care, to actually have this faculty of emotion whereby we're able to be concerned about things and people is to be human. God has made us with that faculty of care and concern. So to try to detach ourselves from it is an act of dehumanization. Jesus himself cares, according to Peter. He cares for you, Peter says. So to be Christ-like is to actually express proper care, which again is not worry and anxiety. But the Stoics were wrong. We are not to just detach ourselves and become kind of cold, shriveled up humans unable to actually express care. And also, it's, 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 it's highly doubtful that very, few, that very many people could actually even achieve a satisfactory level of detachment. I don't know that there were all that many Stoics running around. To say, don't worry, is like telling water to not be wet to most people. It's such a deeply you know, intrinsic kind of aspect to, to our human f fallenness. So detachment, distance from our passions, our emotions, that's not the solution. That's certainly not what the Apostle Paul is encouraging here. He gives us what the proper response is to worry in the second part of verse 6. Right After admonishing us to stop worrying, to not be anxious, what does he say? He gives the strong adversative. The strong opposite it says, but, do not be anxious about anything, but. And then he calls us to the priority of prayer, third point. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the strong emphasis, the strong but against worry is seen in how many different words he just tosses out there to talk about prayer. Request, supplication, petition, thanksgiving. He's emphasizing it by emphasizing the the need for prayer as a response to worry by the multiplication of terms here he uses in these broad terms. So unlike the Stoics, Christians do not look to self. We do not fall back on the inner resources of our human strength to fight worry. We fall on a savior who died to deliver us. We depend upon him. And the greatest manifestation of dependence upon him for the act of Christian is prayer. Prayer actually reveals where our heart trust is. And of course, prayer is a call to a complete abandonment of self-sufficiency to deal with sins like worry. It's a call to dependence upon our Heavenly Father. Prayer, you know, there's certain things in Christian life that just immediately reveal where we are, right? If I looked at all of your checkbooks, I'd immediately see where your faith is, right? What your interest is. You'd see what mine is. We look at our prayer life. We get a really good quick glimpse of how much we actually do depend upon God. There was a story recently I read about an African pastor who came to the States and went to different churches. And uh, I guess uh, one of the persons he he was with at the end said, so what'd you think? He says, I'm surprised at the prayerlessness of American churches. Um, Someone once said, if the Holy Spirit stopped working in our churches, would we actually even notice? It, this really gets to, and I understand, the downside of being, of being a nation and people of abundance is you get self-sufficient. You stop being dependent. Right, we do. We do. Every time I open my refrigerator, it just reminds me that I could actually still eat if I don't pray, give us me this day my daily bread. The blessing becomes this occasion for losing trust. And so we don't pray. And here is a call to pray, as to depend upon our Heavenly Father not the inner resources of our own strength to combat worry. And you remember how Jesus talks about worry in the Sermon on the Mount, how he talks about it. He says, you know, all these, he says, look at the birds, right? All these birds, your heavenly father knows when one of them falls. There's a lot of them and he knows when one of them falls. And he also says, he actually knows the number of hairs on your head. You don't know the number of hairs on your head no matter how sparse they might be in becoming. 
You don't know that. Your heavenly father knows that. He knows every sparrow that falls to the earth. He also says, look, worry is a waste of time because you can't grow one inch by worrying. It's a waste of emotional space and energy. So don't engage in it because it doesn't constructively bring about anything. But then he also says, don't worry because your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you ask. That's this beautiful, gracious call to pray with trust and with faith. He already knows. It's like he comes all the way up to us and says, I have what you need. Your prayer is not vain. <laughs> so he calls us to that. So in the logic of Paul, and the logic of scripture, the opposite of being full of care or careful is not carefree. The opposite of careful or full of care is faith. To not be full of care is to be a person who is trusting who is faithful, and that faithfulness, that trust, evidences itself in the kind of prayer the apostle talks about here. We bring our petitions, our requests, as we don't worry. And notice that prayer includes what all, everybody in America has been thinking about this week. In prayer, it includes thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And that's not just a little add-on just to kind of complete the list of proper prayer. It's very significant to think about thanksgiving because thanksgiving is a responsive prayer that's in recognition of a good that's been received. What do we say to someone when they give us something? Presumably good. We say, thank you. Right? So thanksgiving is this responsive prayer and recognition of having received the good. It's an acknowledgement that indeed this is a good thing we have. So to pray with thanksgiving is to pray in recognition that all we have from God is good. It's gift. To express thanksgiving is to receive life our circumstances as gifts from God for which we are to be thankful. And when we see it as good and as gift, we are to, be, to have our souls satisfied in that. And the satisfied soul is a non-anxious soul. The satisfied soul, the content soul, the one that is trusting God and is expressing that through prayer is going to be the kind of person who lives non-anxiously, not frazzled, not paralyzed with anticipation and expectation of bad providence, but confident, calm, Non-worried. I love what Westminster Shorter Catechism 98 talks about. It's setting, it's setting up prayer 
and to get to the Lord's Prayer with those questions. And that 98th question goes, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Thankfulness is a key. Thanksgiving is a key part to the kind of prayer that is opposed to anxiety and worry. And of course, this praying is not a meaningless chant. It's not vain. It results in what the Apostle Paul writes. It results in the peace of God, which goes beyond our human ability to comprehend. This is a sturdy, tough, not flimsy peace that guards our hearts and minds. It's a picture of a garrison of militia protecting the territory of the human heart from intrusions of anxiety and worry and things that would throw us into panic. It's a picture of God protecting us, having hearts at rest and peace knowing we're protected. And it's supernatural. This doesn't come through a particular kind of therapeutic procedure. This is something that God supernaturally works. This is above the natural. It's a beautiful picture of that peace, that stability, that sense of things are as God wants and wills them. And that's okay. With the outside stuff swirling around, there's a kind of, there's a peacefulness. It's the kind of psalm like being able to feast in the presence of enemies. <laughs> there's just a kind of non-anxious, non-worried state of being that comes when this peace is prevalent. I love the, um, I love rocky plateaus and cliffs, the Pacific Northwest or any place where you can go. Uh, some of the cliffs over in the UK and England, you can just stand there and watch the waters crash against the rocks. I love that. Um, the waters rage and they foam and they slam up against the, the rocks and they recede back and those rocks do nothing but remain. And, and the Lord can make his people like those rocks where everything is swirling around, crashing against, receding back out, coming again and we're just unmovable, <laughs> at peace. And finally, just consider, let's consider Jesus and our worries directly here. It's, it's really, it's possible to psychologize a lot of these kinds of things, like to make prayer a kind of relaxation technique. People do that. It becomes like a, just a form of kind of meditation or something that calms, lowers your blood pressure, right? There's people that secularize these kinds of things. Or Thanksgiving just becomes this kind of skill at thinking positively about your life, right? Uh, it's possible to do that until you actually consider the last words of verse 7. That all of this is done, that God's giving of us peace that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds. All of this is done in 
Christ Jesus, the apostle tells us. It's distinctly Christian, this solution to non-worry here. I listened to a radio interview a few years ago with a psychologist, and he was talking, actually talking about anxiety, and his solutions he proffered were things I had mentioned, kind of Buddhist meditation, cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that. Uh, But when a Christian thinks about dealing with anxiety and worry, we see it as, we see the, the answer as attached to Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of the solution. There are only two types of people in the world. There are those that are inside of Christ and those who are outside of him. So there are only two ways to deal with our worries. We deal with them with Christ or without him. In him or outside of him. And the only people here who get this kind of supernatural peace are those who actually know the Prince of Peace. Do you you recognize, are we aware that we know that Jesus understands human anxiety? He understands worry. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He entered in. He carried on himself the full weight of the anxieties and the sins of his people. He knows what it is. What did he pray on that last night? He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death and tells the disciples, stay here and keep watch. Why did he do that? Why did he bear, not sin in an abstract cognitive sense, but in its real, concrete, defined ways, the sin of his people like that? He did that for his people. That was for you, Christian. He bore your anxieties and worries. He has dealt with them. And the good news of worry is this. We don't need to worry as his people. As people who've been made new and who are being made new in Christ. We don't need to worry because Jesus has taken all of our cares on and in himself. We can cast all our cares on him for he cares for us. And there's so many ways that that works out. One beautiful way recently for me that I just actually felt the relief of anxiety was a couple weeks ago. You know, anxiety, it actually, for a lot of people, it doesn't function as this kind of acute thing, but it does for, for a number of people. But for most, probably for most of us, it's like a low-grade fever. It's just always there. We're just always worried about something. Just buzzing your kids, finances, something. It's just always just kind of there under the surface, and we kind of function. You know, low-grade fever, you can kind of still, like, do life, but you just feel the presence of stress. 
and anxiety and worry. And I was feeling that and I was driving and I looked up or I, looked, I, I listened to uh, Judges chapter 2. Now Judges is not a kind of like joyful book, if you've read It's actually, it's like the opposite of revival, right? It's just, it's reprobate. It's what Israel was at its lowest point. They were doing whatever they wanted, right? There was no king. They were longing for the right king. Um, So you wouldn't expect it. But right at the beginning, the angel of the Lord, after the tribes fell to get rid of the Canaanites, they made peace with the Canaanites after Moses wrote chapters on, don't do that. And they're in the land and they made peace with them. And Joshua and Caleb said, don't do that. And they did it anyway. And so the angel of the Lord appears. The Lord himself appears to Israel, all of Israel. And he tells them, look, I want you to know something. When God made his promise with you back, when he made it to Abraham, and he says, look, you have done this, but I will never break my covenant with you. I don't know what it was, but that word never settled over my soul. And I just felt the dissipation of stress and just overwhelming sense of relief that I don't care how chaotic the world gets, I don't care how bad things get with people, family, friends, work, finances, health, all that stuff, God will not break his covenant with you. He will keep it, and he has kept that. Even to the death of Christ, his son. And the comfort, I don't, I just, it just, the stress just kind of just, you know, just kind of just dissipated. I had to go back to that, you know, keep going back to that. Just something about it. And I think that's one way, one practical way that we realize we pray God's promises and his truth until it, it moves from 18, you know, 18 inches from our head to our hearts. And you can just move forward very non-stressed out. (laughs) Everything's going to be okay. God does not break his word. His promises are sure. He swore by himself. He could swear by none higher than himself. He will keep his promises and his word. So warriors are false prophets. They don't tell the truth about the future. (laughs) Um, worrying is it's, it's almost like a, a mild case of atheism <laughs> you just, we just don't believe because <laughs> there's something about when, when it gets into our hearts that worries go, go away well you think about what, what it is you need to move not just in this season or this particular circumstances in God's providences you're experiencing now but just throughout life in a way in which you're just not anxious about anything, but that you're at rest. And that makes you a risk taker. Not anxious people could take risk, could be zealous, can really just throw ourselves into God's kingdom work, and what he's called us to be and to do. May he help us. Let's pray together and we'll sing our last song. Father, we're thankful for the truth of your word. Uh, we're thankful for your promises to give us peace in place of our anxieties and our worries. Would you help us 
would you give us the grace to actually appropriate this reality and this truth? We're thankful, Father, that everything you say is yes and amen and true. Would you give us hearts that cling tenaciously to your truth? And, and, and so help us, Lord. Blow away any chaff that's been spoken, Lord. May the pure, uh, unadulterated truth of your word remain in us through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.